what most people don't know is that when you search even your own insurance companies or, or a hospital's website, about 50% of those provider profiles, those doctor profiles, about 50% of them contain errors. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Rise of the Next. How many of you have experienced making a doctor's appointment after carefully verifying that the provider was in your network only to get a bill a few weeks later? Now, it turns out that when doctors are no longer in your network, this information may not be updated, in which case you'd need to pay out of pocket. Earlier this year, the No Surprises Act went into effect to protect patients from such unexpected situations and fine healthcare providers who violate patient billing regulations. This is all good, but the fact remains that nearly half of provider directories remain inaccurate according to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Kevin Kraut, the founder of Orderly Health, is trying to solve this persistent problem. Now let's get to the episode. Hi Kevin, thanks for joining us in Rise of the Next. I'm going to start by asking you to tell us about yourself and what motivated you to build Orderly Health. I always joke that I've been around healthcare my whole life, but never quite in it. So I grew up in a healthcare family. My dad was a physician. My mom was a nurse. I was supposed to follow my dad's footsteps to become a doctor. But like many doctor's children, my dad actually talked me out of that path. I started my undergrad as pre-medical student at Duke, switched into economics and public policy, and then went into investment banking, uh, like all good econ majors, I guess. Why did he talk you out of it? Basically, what my dad said is that if you don't love every single aspect of clinical medicine or organic chemistry, everything, then you're never going to make it through because the business of healthcare is such a nightmare. That really stuck with me. And it led to me actually doubling down on my interest in the healthcare industry. I've always been someone who's been very obsessed with efficiency and productivity and mm -hmm. hearing somebody who's in the medical profession say this profession is a nightmare uh, makes you sit up and take notice. So I ended up um, going into investment banking and somewhat by happenstance, a lot of the deals that I advised on in my first year were around healthcare M&A. And uh, that ended up leading to this abiding interest in the business of healthcare. And so, you know, random twists and turns about 15 years later, I ended up working as a product manager at a San Francisco based uh, data analytics startup. And they were mm -hmm. moving to the healthcare vertical, which gave me somewhat of a front row seat to some of the data challenges that companies like Kaiser Permanente, One Medical, Ignite Health in Los Angeles, some of these companies were facing related to healthcare data and uh, that was what gave me the initial spark to investigate further. And as often happens, a curiosity turned into an obsession and then the obsession turned into a job. <laughs> so <laughs> I left my job in, uh, in 2015 to work on the first iteration of Orderly Health. And then we pivoted in 2019 mm -hmm. to focus specifically on the provider data management platform that Orderly has been building since. What are some of the data challenges that you saw that made you think there's an opportunity to found a startup that tackles these problems? The challenges that I saw were, uh, were things like how data is incredibly siloed in healthcare. Now, this is true of a lot mm. of different industries, but I think what sets healthcare apart and is very unique about healthcare is the fact that not only are these data silos persistent and somewhat intractable, but they're, they're persistent and intractable precisely because the incentives of the industry are so both misaligned and mm -hmm. somewhat obfuscated and confusing. In healthcare, the transaction is so convoluted. You have a, an insurer 
who says you may or may not be covered for this this candy bar, right? You mm-hmm. have the individual who wants the candy bar. You have the provider or provider group that is offering the candy bar, but then the, the insurer is the one who's actually going to pay for the candy bar. But you actually might have to contribute some money toward that candy bar while the insurance company is also paying for it. Mm. And the provider may or may not get money back for that. It, it is It is incredibly complicated and obfuscated. And that was really the insight that I had where I said, okay, look, if we can try to remove some of these inefficiencies and be somewhat of a clearinghouse for that transaction, mm-hmm. and you know the, the analogy somewhat breaks down, but what we are trying to do is sit between all of those different uh, entities or mm-hmm. individuals, right? Where it's the patient, the payer, and the provider, all if orderly can sort of sit at the back end and be the, the data clearinghouse for all three of those organizations then we mm-hmm. might be able to help align incentives so that you're only engaging with or, or so that you're engaging with us as a single source of truth, specifically for provider data. What kind of provider data? Well, I think it's both. It, what is important to understand is that for us, what we are trying to do is improve the accessibility of healthcare. And we are specifically focused on solving the challenge of access to care by access to provider data. And by provider data, what I mean is a provider is a bit of a catch-all term for any place, person, or you know, transaction where an individual receives care. So mm. the key insight that we had after working on this platform for we were actually working on more of a an individualized concierge for healthcare, like a, a patient navigator, something to, mm-hmm. to remove the complexities in healthcare. One of our key insights was that nearly every healthcare transaction starts with an individual looking for care, whether that's a prescription or a doctor visit, right? They need, they need a, a primary care physician or they need a specialist for some, something that's wrong with their knee or something along those lines. When that data is not available, when you don't have information about who or what is covered or who or where to go or who to contact, then everything breaks down, right? People then end up Google searching or asking their friends or asking other people who have no no understanding of your unique healthcare needs of hmm. who your insurance is or of even where you're located or you know what languages you want to speak whatever you're you're asking for other people who know nothing really about you or nothing about your unique healthcare concern to validate what is the best provider for you and it's just not a it's not a great system right but what people, what most people don't know is that when you search even your own insurance companies or, or a hospital's website, about 50% of those provider profiles, those doctor profiles, about 50% of them contain errors. And those errors could be a phone number is wrong, an address is wrong, they, hours of operation, they don't take patients, they don't take patients for this specific condition or they're not covered by your plan. Any one of those things could be wrong. And is that stat of 50% specific to the US or is that a global stat? Well, that stat is specific to the U.S., but this is a global challenge as well. Uh, I've talked mm-hmm. to other founders that are working in, uh, on this problem internationally. And even places that are sort of known for having nationalized healthcare, like the U.K. and France and Germany with the beverage model, Japan, etc., even they have a really hard challenge managing this provider data because, again, you've basically got this massive database of data that's constantly changing, and it needs to be consumed by different people for different reasons. So there's all of these different sources of truth, for lack of a better term, that are conflicting. 
and they often override each other. And that's how you can propagate errors within the data set. Kevin, you mentioned that you pivoted the business in 2019. So I'm wondering if you could share what did Orderly Health do prior to 2019 and why'd you pivot? Our initial idea was to create almost like a mint.com or a personal capital for healthcare where you would, as an individual, you could stitch together a number of different sources of information, right? Like you upload your mm. insurance information, your FSA, HSA, whatever. And then you have this, this look of like the, the patient side. Here's all the things that I am able to be covered for or can pay for. And then on the other side, you create this marketplace of individual services. Uh, what I saw when I started Orderly was that there were a number of one-off point solutions, everything from you know, telemedicine providers to the medication search platforms to pricing for MRIs and imaging to even connecting with urgent care. There were all of these different services that an individual could have, but there wasn't something that, that kind of brought them all together so that mm. you as the patient, the onus was on you to, to try to find them and figure out what was best for you. So we would, you know, if you search for medication, we would go to our partners that were uh, capable of, of giving you the lowest price medication. If you search for a provider, we would go to our various provider searching capabilities, uh, which we partnered with all of these different existing data sources or service providers that offered services to an individual. We built mm. this out. It's, we spent about three years doing it. It was a really cool product. But as I said, we, we discovered a few key things. One, nearly every query or request that we received started with, help me find care, whether it was, I need urgent care, or I need telemedicine, or I need mental health, or I need a primary care physician. Almost everything was, I need some form of care. The second key insight that we had was by combining multiple sources of diverse data on providers, whether it was clinics, hospitals, doctors, we could actually come up with a more accurate set of results than even the, the, the doctors or the hospitals themselves had. How are you able to do that? Well, what we do now, and this is a part of our pivot, is that if, you're, if you have a provider record, you're Dr. Smith in Iowa, Dr. Smith in Iowa might have 100 copies of, that, of his record somewhere or her record somewhere. It might be saved on WebMD or HealthGrades or what used to be Better Doctor is now acquired by Quest. And then there's also other people who know Dr. Smith who might be transacting in that data. Uh, all of those sources of data, we then dig up and then we use software, machine learning and AI to try to mm -hmm. normalize and stitch together probabilistically that record to create mm -hmm. a, a much more accurate and comprehensive and more detailed record. So how do you make sure though that the data is accurate? So there's a number of ways. One is we actually have feedback loops with our customers, right? So mm -hmm. our, our customers might subscribe to the data and then if they if they find errors or you know they, they get feedback and they can tell us through our API, they can override our data. We get inputs from every customer that we sign up because it's a bi-directional exchange, right? Mm -hmm. They're using mm -hmm. our APIs to download data from our database, but then they can also write data to our database. And, and unlike other systems where it might just immediately overwrite it, we actually weigh that new written record against other information that we have on the provider. And if there's a lot of noise, then that signals to us, 
hey, we need to validate this manually. So the bleeding out of edge of technology uh, in healthcare is still manual attestation. And manual attestation, what that means in, in layman's terms is pick up a phone and call the provider. There are, there are errors that can be introduced even with that process. And so one of the things that we're constantly doing is we basically have the, you know, the, the wandering eye of Sauron constantly looking through our database to try to find errors and any kind of anomalous noise in the data so that we can then go through and repair it. Uh, even the way that you frame the script when you're trying to test this data matters. So mm. we do a lot of experimentation and A-B testing, and then we go through and sort of validate our own data, almost like a almost like a secret shopper at a restaurant to make sure that the waiter, waiters and waitresses are, are obeying certain service protocols, we will go through and say, okay, let's see how accurate our data is. And we go through and, and uh, mm. test, test sample data sets all the time. Would you say that that's the most challenging part in cleaning up the data? I think that the overall process of managing clean data is the most challenging part. And what I mean by that is you clean up, so, so say that you go through and you go through a, a sample data set and you make a bunch of changes. Mm -hmm. Well, the, Then the very next upload that you get from a customer has the old data in there and they're trying to write to your data set to, to overwrite the changes that you just made. It's, it's a bit of a, a constant game of whack-a-mole to make sure that you're slotting in the most recent, most up-to-date, most trustworthy data. And that's mm -hmm. where the AI comes in because what ends up happening is it's tons of calculations at scale. A human could do them one by one, but on one record, it might take 15 minutes to try to sort out whether or not we have the most recent or the most accurate data. When you try to replicate that throughout the entire data set, it would take years to try to, to try to manage. And as soon as you get through the, the data set once, it's already out of date again. So what we mm. try to do is we're using, you know, cloud hosted AI, machine learning, and prob probabilistic weighting to determine what is the most accurate data. And our hope is that as, as we get greater market penetration, as we get more sources of information, we create a flywheel approach where more companies come in and, and more sources of data end up weighing in and, and our, our algorithmic approach gets better. And that ends up leading to more accurate data faster. And mm. we, we need less and less attestation in order to get to the same level of accuracy. Now, when orderly health detects inaccurate data, do you have to notify the provider and rely on them to update their own information? Or do you guys intervene and you know, in addition to flagging it, do the cleanup and input the correct data as well. Well, so it's important to understand how customers are engaging with our platform and our system. Who are your customers? We are a B2B2C company. We sell to enterprises and then the enterprises then use our data to, for whatever reason, the enterprises could use them for their own mm. internal management or they could also present the data to, to the individual patients. The um, enterprises being the providers as well as the payers, or is it just the providers? No, that, that's actually, you're, you hit the nail on the head. Orderly is somewhat unique in the healthcare space and particularly in the digital health space where we sell to the three main verticals or pillars within healthcare. We sell to both payers as well as providers. So mm -hmm. insurance companies and hospital systems, provider groups, et cetera. But in addition, we also sell to other digital health organizations like 
uh, next-gen pharmacy benefits management companies or scheduling platforms like ZocDoc or ReferWell, et cetera. All three groups can be customers of Orderly. Got and that. I do want to get back to your question about do we notify our customers or do we notify the people who are consuming our data when it changes? The answer is yes, kind of. We don't send up a flag every time that there is a change within our database because the way that organizations interact with Orderly is that for the most part, they're accessing our data either via API or via scheduled file exchanges or data exchanges, either flat file transfer, et cetera. It's, a, it's kind of the, their choice in terms of their own backend workflows. And I think that that's why mm. Orderly is starting to have great success is that we don't go out to the market and say, you must conform to our operational workflows. Instead, we say, look, we have not only great data, but we also have mm -hmm. various different solutions and products that can enhance your own internal workflows. And it's a little bit of choose your own adventure. If you, for example, need a better way to manage the rosters that get exchanged between health systems and insurance companies, Orderly mm -hmm. has a solution for that. If you just need a set and forget read-only data stream, Orderly has a, an API for that. If you want to audit your data on a regular basis and exchange data back and forth between Orderly's database, we have a, an API and a solution for that as well. So we let you determine what is your primary use case and how do you want to interact with our data. And by the way, from which databases does Orderly Health pull its data from? That's a little bit of our secret sauce, but there, it, it, it's like a, <laughs> a well-known secret. And there's, there's other players in the space and the source data comes from a lot of the same sourcing information. Uh, so there are a lot mm. of public databases for provider information. The primary one being what's called NPES, N-P-P-E-S. There's also CMS data, AMA data. Google has, a, has mapping data from people searching on, on Google Maps to find primary care physicians. So we do everything from pulling data from those public databases, as well as pulling from other, other resources and publicly available websites. We also have data partners that we purchase data from. There's mm -hmm. data vendors and brokers who specialize in this area. And we purchase from them. And then the most proprietary and unique to Orderly is the data that we are ourselves generating, either through our algorithmic approach, which is weighing and translating this data and then writing it into our system. We, we've created a, a unique incentive structure where some of our products require you to share data with us. Let, let me give an example. We can't tell you whether your data is accurate if you don't tell us what your data says. So in those cases where you, you want orderly to clean your data set or in some way translate it, normalize it, do whatever to it, if you want us to do something to your data, then you have to show us your data. And because of that, we've done a really good job of generating some network effects that actually improves our data and lowers our costs of acquiring external data sources. Why is there still an issue with data inaccuracy 10 years after the Affordable Care Act? Aren't providers and insurance companies supposed to keep their information up to date? Yes. And the way that I will respond to this is it's one thing to pass a law. It's another thing to enforce it. The Supreme Court could tell you all about this where, you know, many times a Supreme Court ruling comes down and then the states are kind of like, well, now what do we do? That's, mm. I feel like that's a really good analogy or metaphor for what insurance companies and health systems have had to deal with both in the passage of the ACA and perhaps more relevant to our discussion is, is the recent passage of the No Surprises Act, which was a part of the ONVA spending bill that passed in December of 2020. So the No Surprises Act has a few key features. And one of them is 
requiring that provider data is programmatically accessible, which to us techies means this must be API accessible. And the second is to, to maintain accuracy of the networks of what, what providers are accepting, what plans and who is, is and is not out of network, right? And the, the idea being, if you know before you go into a provider that your provider is or is not covered, then this will limit the number of what they call surprise bills that get sent to the individual where mm. you go out, you get a procedure, you think that it's covered. And then, you know, six weeks later, you get a bill for 10 times what you thought you were going to pay. So the No Surprises Act allows CMS, which is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, to fine uh, insurers for having their data inaccurate on their website. And there's also provisions that health systems can be fined as well. Uh, we are just now starting to see some of these fines be levied. I don't mean to be too glib about it, but basically everybody is in noncompliance. Every, every organization in the country has some level of inaccurate data. Well, you mentioned 50% of all data is inaccurate, so... And CMS can't go out and find everyone. So mm. they're looking for the most egregious uh, cases where this is really hurting the consumer or the individual, and therefore they're going to go out and be fine. So that's actually a selling point for orderly is one of the things that we talk about is risk mitigation. We remove some of this risk that they could take for potentially millions of dollars in fines, not only, mm. not only that, but improving your operational efficiency in the process. With all this opportunity, Kevin, I'm curious, what's next for orderly health? Yeah, I mean, that's a super exciting question. We're, we're in a really cool place right now. We've spent basically the last few years building out our platform. And we're just starting to see the sales start to pick up because we finally have a platform that we can demonstrate and that we, we have case studies from existing customers. So where, where we're going, I keep talking about these network effects that we're generating. It's mm -hmm. network effects and feedback loops, right? It's the, that flywheel approach that, that startups love to talk about. Once they start to achieve early product market fit, it seems like things just start to accelerate. Where we're going from here is we've now released some functionality that allows, for lack of a better term, our customers to crowdsource some of the training data work that our algorithms have to do or that our engineers mm -hmm. have to do on our side. If we have enough consumers who are both reading and writing our data, and by consumers, I don't mean individuals, I mean organizations or programmatic consumers, then we'll have more inputs to determine when data is either likely to be accurate or likely to be inaccurate. And that will help us decrease our costs and improve our data accuracy. And then in the long run, the, the overall long-term vision of Orderly is we want to do for provider data what Plaid did for finance, what Twilio did for communication, where every transaction will be done behind the scenes in some way, shape, or form by Orderly's system. We, we want to be able to power every provider interaction in the healthcare space. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for giving us all the insights. Thank you, Shireen. It was great to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on Rise of the Next. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you subscribe on wherever you're listening to this so you can get notified as soon as new episodes are released. You can listen to this episode on all major podcast streaming platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts, as well as our website, The Global VC, which you can access at 500.co. Until then, you can also stay up to date with 500 Global by following us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all with the handle at 500 Global. That's all for me today. I'll catch you all on a future episode of Rise of the Next by 500 Global. This podcast is intended solely for general informational or educational purposes only.
Under no circumstances should any content provided as part of or any such programs, services, or events be construed as investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice by 500 Startups Management Company, LLC, or any of its affiliates, 500 Global. 500 Global makes no representation as to the accuracy or information in this podcast. And while reasonable steps have been taken to ensure that the information herein is accurate and up-to-date... No liability can be accepted for any such error or omissions, and 500 Global accepts no responsibility for any loss which may arise from reliance on the information in this podcast. Under no circumstances should any information or content in this podcast be considered as an offer to sell or solicitation of interest to purchase any securities advised by 500 Global or any of its affiliates or representatives. Further, no content or information in this podcast is intended as an offer to provide any investment advisory service with regard to securities by 500 Global. Under no circumstances should anything herein be construed as fund marketing materials by prospective investors considering an investment into any 500 Global investment fund. Under no circumstances should any statistics, quotations, or other content be interpreted as testimonials or endorsement of the investment performance of any 500 Global Fund by a prospective investor considering an investment into any 500 Global Fund. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements which involve risks and uncertainties, and actual results may differ materially from any expectations, projections, or predictions made or implied in such forward-looking statements. This podcast includes content delivered by an independent third party that is not related to or controlled by 500 Global. All views and opinions represented in the podcast by such third party are their own views and opinions and do not represent those of 500 Global. 500 Global makes no representations as to or guarantees of specific outcomes from attending or relying on the contents of the podcast.